You know, at the very first of this year, when thinking about um, a point of focus uh, for this time in in our services, um, the word discovery is what actually came to my mind repeatedly over the course of about a week, 10 days in December. And um, I kind of felt like that there was a personal application uh, in all of that. And some things that I am really uh, focusing on in my personal life in the new year. But I felt like that for us as a community, in terms of getting to know God better, is that the Lord wants us to have a spirit of adventure and discovery. Spirit of adventure and discovery. I think that we never want to find ourselves feeling comfortable with our level of knowledge, understanding, and relational connection. Just like, oh, I'm, I'm quite at ease with where I'm at. I, I think it's good to have a, always a, a spirit of contentment, but I think it's always really wise to have um, a curiosity, uh, a hunger, if you will, uh, to... Get to know God better. You've got this infinite God, creator of the universe, and us finite beings. And yet, even as finite beings, we can continue to learn, 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 and grow, grow, grow. We actually can. Um, The experts tell us, though, that many of us, once we get past a certain point in life, tend to just put it on cruise and and, kind of just put in our time and do what feels best and... Well, hope everything works out well for us in the end. And uh, I think that discovering, having a spirit of discovery is, is really, really good for us. Well, the first thing we looked at a couple weeks, a few weeks ago was discovering our Father. And um, every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from the Father of lights. So life is filled with so many gifts and so many blessings And we recognize that our Heavenly Father really is the source. And so uh, we spent a week just on discovering our fathers. I'll actually touch on that just a wee bit this morning. And last week, see, did we meet last week or was it two weeks ago? We we skipped one. We shut down for that ice storm there. But um, we then shifted into discovering our inheritance. That's right. That was last week we came back. Discovering our inheritance. Um, And and so... um, we, we want to continue along that line. But today, let's remember a couple things about fathers. Fathers reproduce themselves. So that's obviously true in the natural, okay? And, uh, and you see how a son or daughter will carry some of the traits of his or her father. And it may be even a quirky trait that you didn't wish came down to you. It's just like dad, you know, but there's certain traits that we carry of our fathers. And uh, you may have some of your father's physical features. Um, and uh, it's interesting. Your, your face could resemble your father, but your toes look like your mother. So, I mean, there's just a wide variety of things that can happen. But some of the unique personality traits are, uh, are received from our natural father. And uh, a lot of all the good, wonderful things that, that is passed down genetically. But Father God reproduces himself in all human beings. 
all human beings are a result of his creative life and his creative work. And so, because everyone is made in his image, everyone's made in his likeness, according to the scriptures. And, uh, you know, God said uh, in the beginning, let us make man, let's make humankind in our image, in our likeness. And then we see in the scriptures a reference toward that specific point about humans. Now, to be honest with you, sometimes I struggle with seeing God-likeness in every person. I mean, for some people and many people, oh, that's easy, man. There's a God-like characteristic trait and attribute. And, well, sometimes it's a little more difficult. But here's what I've come to over the years, and that is when I am struggling to see God-likeness in any other person on the planet, it's an indicator that I'm in process and needing to grow up. Yeah. The closer the connection I have with God, the more obvious his qualities become to me, and I can identify those in other people. But, uh, but, but you go, but some people, oh, it's true, we all have our stuff. You know, at the core, we have this God-likeness, and then we take on other things. And so some of the God-likeness gets partially masked over. And so it is a little more hard and difficult to see. But it's always been interesting to me how some Christians who claim to be very mature and spiritually discerning pride themselves in seeing the darkness in another person and the sin in another person. Boy, that's always bothered me because you know what the reality is? In reality, if we are truly advancing spiritually, if we're truly becoming more Christ-like and maturing, the more we can see the attributes and the likeness of God in other peoples of the earth, wherever we go on the planet. And if I'm struggling with that, it means I'm a wonderful work in process and I am needing to continue to grow. So let that be a motivator when you find yourself struggling. If you find yourself just fixated or the first thing you see is the junk, the crazy stuff, the sin or the evil um, likeness, and you react to that, I think it's a great time to pause and pray and say, oh God, help me to grow here so that I can see beyond because spiritual discernment will see through the stuff and see the hidden beauty of the heart as God created them. Oh, that's some food for thought here this morning. The best way for us to discover and know our Father is to study and emulate the life of Christ. Here's a scripture. Let's look at it. I have a scripture. Actually, I think I shared it sometime in the last week or two. John 14, 8 to 9. Philip one day he was hanging out with Jesus, and he said, Lord, show us the Father. Now, these Jewish guys were really, their hearts were 
fixed on their God as they understood him. And they had a sense of understanding throughout the Old Testament of God being a father. But a father more at a distance. And so Philip says, show us the father. This is really all we need. And Jesus said, I've been with you a long time now. Do you still not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen the father or has seen me has seen the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father because Christ carried all of the attributes and likeness of his father. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us he is the exact, precisely the exact representation. So what we want to do is take our Take a, take a Bible, for example. If you want to get to know God, you don't start in the Old Testament. You go to the New Testament, and one of the best places to start is the Gospel of John. Now, that's the real beginning. That's a beginning that is far more comprehensive and in-depth than Genesis 1, because it takes us back in the very beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word there is speaking of Jesus Christ. He is exact representation. So the best way for us to discover know our Father is study the life of Christ. And as we take on that likeness in our understanding, guess what happens? It begins to work its way into our behavior and our thought patterns and such. And this, then, is something that brings about beauty. You know, the Pharisees, the religious Jews of Christ today, who were well-studied concerning the Old Testament scriptures, were often surprised and offended at Jesus. Why were they surprised and offended at what Jesus said and what Jesus did? Ah, oh, because... It was different than was their understanding in knowing the Old Testament scriptures. Precisely, this is the purpose why Jesus came to earth, why Jesus came, the Christ who always was, manifest himself in human form to show us what God is really like. If all you do is look at the Old Testament scriptures, you have an incomplete picture and you'll have a picture that is not accurate portrayal of who God is. And Jesus makes this so clear. All the New Testament scriptures make this so clear. And so that is um, a, a something that is so important that we, we go to the New Testament scripture. Now, after having the New Testament scriptures and we bathe ourselves in the things that are revealed by the Holy Spirit through the writers of the New Testament and how the Holy Spirit even takes those things and gives further revelation, then you can look back into the Old Testament and you go, oh, now that makes a little more sense, okay? And you will see the various points throughout Old Testament scriptures where prophetically um, it, it, Christ was being highlighted. For example, let me give you one in Genesis, the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What's the tree of life? It's Christ. That's Christ Jesus. That's what Genesis is all about. God wanted Adam and Eve partake of the, the Christ of eternity. Okay? 
And so, and on and on, you see Christ illustrated. And that's relatively easy for us now because we're so privileged to have the New Testament scriptures. It's interesting that even today, there are about 185,000 Christians in the nation of Israel, which is only 1.9% of the whole population. But out of the 185,000, 75% are Arab Christians, wonderful Arab brothers and sisters. There's only a small, little, 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 tiny fraction of the Jewish population. It's less than one half of 1% that believe in Christ Jesus, okay? How many of you think that God in his goodness and mercy, he'll, he can change that, right? Of all the billions of people in the world today who do not yet have the revelation of who Jesus is, I have absolute confidence in our Lord that he will change that. He will make the difference. He will open. He has a way of opening the eyes of our heart, removing the blindness from our lives. And so in everyday life now, let's bring it back to us. Um, <clears throat> the more that we focus upon our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ as revealed through the Gospels and throughout the New Testament Scriptures and prophetically spoken of in the Old Testament, the more that we can recognize God-likeness in other people. How many of you say we need a little bit more of that? Because most of our squabbles in life, our prejudices, uh, all of the issues that get us all uptight as humankind is because we are not looking at the heart with discernment and seeing God-likeness. We're seeing the inadequacies. We're seeing the failures. We're seeing the, um, the traits that aren't God-like. And then we get hung up on those. And then we develop bad attitudes. And then we stiff-arm one another. And then we, um, you know, it just doesn't go well for our relationships in this world. And so there is something of a God-like trait in every person. For example, you could be driving down a city street somewhere and, and there's an accident that happens and someone is injured. My goodness, you see human beings jumping out of their cars and rushing over to the injured person. That's a God-like quality right there. That's love. That's mercy. It's in every human when a house is afire in a neighborhood, the neighbors come rushing out, the neighbors bang on the doors, and they'll even rush into the home to do whatever they can to save those who could otherwise perish. Those are godlike qualities. It's a beautiful thing. Well, discovering our Father is a lifelong process for every person. It really is. Because we have this infinite, amazing God who keeps saying, I want you to be a partaker of my life, my divine nature. And I want you to become God, like theosis. I want you just to take on my likeness. So this is something that God desires for every person. The Apostle Paul 
who didn't fully understand God in the beginning. He was a Jew. He was one of the most educated in his field. And after Christ went to the cross, was resurrected, and we have the early church that we read about in Acts, starting in Acts 1, 2, and on it goes. And about Acts 9, we see years later, this guy named Saul was persecuting Christians. He thought he was doing God a favor. He actually wanted to eradicate all of these so-called followers of Christ. And so he applauded their persecution and when they were stoned. Because he thought that would please his father in heaven. Boy, was he wrong. But he knew the scriptures, all of the Old Testament scriptures, better than almost anyone else in his world. But he still didn't know the heart of the father. Well, God has a loving way in his mercy of getting our attention. And so Paul has this encounter, the blinding light. He's physically blinded for three days. And there's a lot of significance in that because it's God comes to us in the darkness to reveal himself because he is light. And he came and Christ Jesus was revealed to him. Radical encounter. And Paul went on a, a, a season of his life for several years. Some say it was actually 16 years that he went out to the Arabian desert. Others say it was only nine years. Scholars have a different perspective on that, trying to piece that together in a timeline. But for numerous years, he just went out and he would spend days and then years doing what? Wanting to get to know God, his father, through Jesus Christ so that he could represent him because he knew that he was called to be a light unto the Gentiles. Even though he was a Jew, he had a heavenly vision. He speaks about it. We see it in Scripture. Um, he speaks about it in, I believe it's Acts 27. He refers back to his encounter. And he says, O King Agrippa, I was given a heavenly vision. And his vision was go to the Gentiles, even though he was Jewish, he was to go to all the other people groups and share the good news of Jesus Christ. He wanted to accurately represent his father. That's why Paul spent so much time just in the presence of God, and he was getting these spiritual downloads. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is the same today? He gives us downloads of insight. I love it when we were privileged. Paul didn't have the, the New Testament scriptures, although he wrote most of it. They were letters that he wrote with no intention of ever winding up in our hands one day. They were specifically written to Christians in Corinthians and Thessaloniki and, and Ephesus. And, and, and he had no idea they'd wind up in our hands. But even today, as we have all these wonderful scriptures... When we're reading, we should expect Holy Spirit to what? Enlighten us. Open the eyes of our heart. Oh, that we might see him and know him better. And if we can do that on a regular basis, it really facilitates a lot of growth. If we ever approach any passage of Scripture, say, oh, I already know what that's all about. That's a mistake because you probably do not. You probably do not know what that's all about. Maybe in part, 
But never assume you already know. Always go and just say, well, I've gleaned some wonderful treasure from this passage before, and I just love it. But God, open the eyes of my heart once again. Because so often we come even to Scripture with presuppositions. And we presuppose we know and understand. And we can miss what is hiding in plain sight all alone. And so God really wants us to have that kind of heart to search the scriptures even as the Bereans did. I want us to jump over to Ephesians. We were here last week, but I I just got to read through this again, and then I want to make a few comments on it. Ephesians in chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is a letter he writes to Christians at Ephesus. To the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice how he addresses God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every, somebody say every, every spiritual blessing in heavenly now, places is not in the original Greek language, so in some of our Bibles, that's why it is italicized, because it's not there. But it is assumed, and often it is rightly assumed, sometimes mm, may not be, but it's rightly assumed that it would refer to heavenly places in Christ, okay? One of the problems of when we start inserting words like that, now it forms a mental image of a specific location, like a geographical location. And actually, that's not what this means, okay? There's a geographical location somewhere. No, he's, he's, he's talking about having to do in the presence, in, in, in the amazing place of Christ's presence. But it's verse 4, just as he chose us in him, before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And so this is something he's always, always had in mind. So the heavenly places are what? The invisible spiritual environment with Christ in contrast to our tangible realm in which we live, okay? Now, interestingly enough, we're actually bilocational people. We're here... In physical form, with actual bodies that come from dust, and it's going to return to dust, okay? But we also have this divine, supernatural connection by the Spirit with Christ. And he is not here in physical form as he was when he walked the earth. And this is actually a phenomenon. That you can be two places at once. It's amazing. It's exciting to know that we are more than just a physical body that doesn't like to get out of bed in the morning. A physical body that aches, hurts, wants to work out, get really fit and strong. A body that needs to be fed. You know, I mean, we're more than that. We are spirit. We are, we, are, we are soul and, and a body. 
Then he goes on in verse 5, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. Once again, the original language just used sons, but it never is to the exclusion of the female. Okay, so our modern versions make sure uh, that there's a proper understanding, so it's inserted, and daughters, through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he favored on us. And so in this context, all of the people of the world are anticipated within the heart of God to be recipients of the spiritual blessings. And he considers all who are made in his image and likeness as if though they are sons and daughters. Even if though they haven't responded to him with a yes to the saving grace of Jesus, to experience the workings of sonship, okay, from God's heart, he considers them. But he considers them like son or daughter, but in darkness, alienated, not in fellowship with, because sometimes it's just blindness, and that's why the scriptures make it so clear. And the prayer of Paul, open the eyes of our heart. Uh, the God of this world blinds the eyes of them that believe not the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4. And so it's when our spiritual eyes are opened that we simply believe in him, that which was hidden for us. God doesn't hide things from us, in this context, he hides them for us. He hides them for us to be discovered. And so when you see someone, maybe as you have been in the past, who's like, gospel, God, Christ, doesn't make any sense. Think about this. God has hidden the truth for them. It is something to be revealed. See, that which seems like a mystery, as we see in Scripture about this, the Christ mystery, is not that it was never to be known, but it's, it's that in the right time and season, it was knowable, it was to be revealed. And so Christ was revealed in the fullness of times because it was hidden for us for appropriate time. And so, if you read on here, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. This is the nature of our Father. In all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. This is speaking of the incarnate Christ. When Christ comes to earth, we'll call his name, what? Emmanuel, or God, with us. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he sets forth in him, regarding his plan of the fullness of times. Oh, wow, this is getting better. To bring all things together. What are we talking about? Bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. So did you notice here the plan of our Father has always been that through Christ, okay, the mysteries would be revealed. Through Christ, 
that which has been damaged by sin and evil, that which is alienated from God, is going to be brought together? That's amazing. All things. Not some of the things in the heavens. Now, when he's speaking heavens, he's speaking of powers and principalities because Paul then clarifies what he means by that in chapter 6. Powers, principalities, rulers of darkness. There's disorder. There's chaos in the invisible realm. And there's chaos on earth in the visible, tangible realm. Anybody think there's some truth to that? Yeah, we experience it sometimes. Uh, you, you, you see it on the news, you know. I always getting these little news bits that pop up, you know. <clears throat> and I have it set that way. And it's like, oh, no, look what just happened here in the world. Look what happened over there. Um, and there are disheartening and discouraging things that happen. Well, you know what? We ought to find ourselves encouraged in knowing that a part of God's plan has always been that through Christ, through his ministry on the earth, cross, resurrection, ascension, and enthronement, and that he is still present by his spirit working, that he's going to bring all that is out of order, and wherever there's disorder in the heavenlies and on earth, he's going to bring it all together into divine order. Thirteen times in this little letter that Paul writes, he makes reference to this. Thirteen times. We won't search that out this morning. So you have like separate domains, if you will, you know, the heavens, but they are in process of being brought together in Christ. Never buy into the lie that the world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It's falling apart. Oh, no, it's not. Yeah, there's evil on every hand. We have more aware of evil and all the bad stuff in our world than ever before because of, well, we just, in an instant, Right? We have it because of all the satellites transmitting the news and the images and such. And we have it in our pocket just within seconds, okay? But in the heavenlies, there's rebellion of powers and principalities. And on earth, there's relational alienation. Even between Jews and Gentiles. And their, their estrangement from God. Many people, the Jewish people, the Gentiles, they're not in a divine connection where they're partaking of the life of Christ. Let me read it to you. This is out of a commentary by P.T. O'Brien. And uh, he has some commentary. Uh, Erdman's Publishing Company puts this out. So I'm going to quote now P.T. O'Brien. I'm just actually going to read it right out of here. Okay. Christ is the one in whom God chooses to sum up the cosmos, the one in whom he restores harmony to the universe. He is the focal point, not simply the means, but the instrument or the functionary 
through whom all of this occurs. Now, in verses 9 and 10 of Ephesians that we just read, the stress is placed on the one in whom God's overarching purposes for the whole of the created order are included. The emphasis is now on a universe that is centered and reunited in Christ. Guys, this is actually in process. Yes, in the midst of ugly stuff in our world. It's in process. All things are being put under Christ's feet. As Paul goes on to tell us in a couple chapters more in Ephesians, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The mystery which God has graciously made known refers to the summing up and the bringing together, get this, of the fragmented and alienated elements of the universe. All things in Christ as the focal point. The divine intention to sum up all things as a whole in Christ is amplified by the following parallel statement. Things in heaven and things on earth. This is good news. The gospel is so much greater than just being forgiven of one's sins. That's really good. And that's really exciting when you're burdened down with the guilt and the shame of your sin and all of a sudden you discover Christ and, then, and, and you, you experience that deliverance, that freedom. I mean, you're like a bird let out of a cage. That's marvelous. But that is just an awakening, an encounter of salvation that now puts you in a place to behold the Christ of the universe who is in process of bringing all things under his authority and control. And you get to be a part of that, being a part of the body of Christ. I thought somebody would jump up and say, yeah, that's good news. Acts 3, 17 to 21. Get this now. Now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did. Now, this is Paul, uh, excuse me, this is Peter speaking after they healed the lame man at the gate beautiful. It caused an uproar. So they're now on Solomon's porch and he has a gathering. The things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return. What is repent? Have a change of mind. Change your mind. Return so that your sins can be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's what happens, right? When we come to encounter Christ and we experience the salvation of the Lord, you talk about refreshing. Wow, this is amazing. And there are other seasons, and we have those times and seasons in our lives. Let's read on. That he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom the heavens must receive. Now understand that just before this, days before this, Christ had ascended into heaven, having completed his mission. He had his glorified body, glorified body, and he was out of sight. And he said, 
This Christ, whom the heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. Isn't that amazing promise? And so the prophets of doom and gloom, everything is getting worse and everything is... Let me tell you what, the ascended enthroned Christ is at work in our world. What we see with the natural eye sometimes comes up short of the reality of what is happening in the eternal presence and by the authority of Jesus Christ. So in our prayers, we need to align our hearts and our thinking with the reality of what is actually happening. Don't listen to all the doomsday prophets and everything doom and gloom and the goal is just a quick escape at all because we're going to be so messed up if we don't. Guys, that's not the answer. Christ is restoring. Christ is in process of bringing things together. That's why when we even get a glimpse in Revelation chapter 5, um, John, when he was caught up in chapter 4, just so he, he could see, and now he's got an eternal picture. Sometimes we, we think that, that Revelation is just about what happens in 2020 to 2030 and 2000. What? Where do we get that? That's all, that's, that's, that's made up. That's fabrication. It was an eternal picture of what was happening. Most of what had happened and was present and some of that yet to come. But it was a bigger picture. And what did he say in Revelation 5? I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, read it, any version you want, and in the sea, and everything in the universe cry out to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing, honor, glory, and might forever and ever. That's a picture of the restoration that Christ is in process of, right there. And God gave John the Revelator that ability. That is the picture. That's why Revelation 21, we don't have time to go there. We're gonna, we have new heavens, new earth. No hint of evil. Evil will not be in control of anything. It's squelched. What do you think Jesus conquered? He conquered death. Evil is simply a result of death that came into the world through the sin of Adam. Okay? So there won't be a trace of evil or sin at some point. That's good news. That's what we ought to just be rejoicing and knowing our Savior and Lord. He's been enthroned in the heavens. He is at work to bring divine order. And so what is prayer about? Prayer isn't convincing God of what he needs to do. Prayer is saying, God, I thank you for what you're doing. May evil be quelled. May evil be squelched in Jesus' name. And may divine order come to be upon all of the earth and in the heavenlies where there's disorder and powers and principalities and demonic forces that influence the hearts of men and women to do evil upon the earth. 
Well, there's a discovery of our Father that was made known through Christ. And there's a discovery of our inheritance that was made known through Christ. I'll touch on this. We've got to wrap this up. I'm getting excited here, so yikes. Okay, hang with me now. Verse 11, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance. What that tells me that in the natural we have inheritances, okay, and they are to be received in the future after the passing of the loved one, uh, a parent or, or someone else as who has bequeathed their things uh, to you. Now, Paul says here, though, in him we've already obtained an inheritance. We have this inheritance in Christ, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, have also believed and you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit, who is our first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own praise, excuse me, of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians um, uh, in chapter one there. So, so what's an inheritance? Okay, so we have natural inheritance. We have a spiritual inheritance. An inheritance means to receive an irrevocable gift with the emphasis upon the relationship between the benefactor and the recipients. And so Paul talks of this union that we have with Christ. How do we have a union with Christ? He already chose us before the creation. He just wrote it. In the fullness of time, God came to be with us in what we call the incarnation. It was also prophetically planned even before Adam and Eve were created, Christ coming to earth wasn't just a fix-it plan. He wasn't the fix-it man because, whoops, things got out of order. Oh, bummer deal. We got to figure out how we're going to fix this one. Oh, no, no, no. This was all a part of the eternal plan so that mankind could become godlike. It wasn't just to fix our sin problem. That was part of the privilege of us experiencing him coming but it was to make us godlike, okay? And so, so, so Jesus comes to us. And, but he's qualified all human beings to be partakers of Father's inheritance. And so being a partaker of his divine nature then makes us godlike. Remember I said last week, our number one goal on earth is not to figure out how we can go to heaven when we die. That's not why we exist. That's just a, a bonus. That's cool. Yeah. The real purpose for life is becoming godlike. That's actually the primary purpose for marriage. It isn't just procreation. It isn't just to fill a romantic need, a sexual need. No. It's a context in which you have two real people working each day in life so they can become more godlike. 
That's the purpose. Our work, what we do with our hands, is a way to honor God who gives us the strength and given us bodies and a brain to do our work. But in the process, we're becoming more God-like. That's the purpose for our work. It's not just to bring home the bacon. It's to become God-like. Yes, to become God-like, even having to work around some of those type of people, whatever that means to you, okay? So you have this inheritance, and it's a gift to all of humanity. So this spiritual inheritance is a gift to everyone, right? It's a gift to humanity that needs to be realized so it can be received. Our spiritual inheritance, now get this, this is careful. I'm not trying to be tricky here, but it actually, there's a truth here I hope you can grab, okay? Our spiritual inheritance is not based on my choosing Christ. It's because he chose us before the foundation of the world. However, my access to my inheritance, my full access to my inheritance is by simply opening my eyes and embracing Christ, the one who is my inheritance, and then all the facets of his glory begin to trickle into my life. And so our inheritance, let's wrap it up with these thoughts. Our inheritance is a relational privilege of God's unconditional love and mercy. And so the love and mercy we experience from God directly and through fellow humans is a part of our inheritance. Did you know when you show love and mercy to someone else, you are in those moments being part of the inheritance of Christ in their life. And you say, well, what if it's a fur person who doesn't believe in Christ? Oh, God is so good. He's just going to bless them. The Bible says he reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, I think the scriptures make clear, though, to receive, to experience the full inheritance, though, he brings us to a point of opening our eyes to where we believe and we go, yes, God. And then it really gets good. Here's another thought. Our inheritance is the power of Christ's presence in the Holy Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, our part uh, of, uh, of our inheritance as, as dwelling places of the Spirit, we are carriers of God's grace and carriers of His glory. And so, you who are carriers of His grace and glory, you are contributing to my realized inheritance in Christ because your love and mercy, because of the presence of Christ in you, when I get around, that's why I like to get here. That's why I don't want to miss. I love hanging around people who have a God connection through Christ, and they're like realizing it, and they're just filled with the love and the mercy and the glory of his presence. I'm like, ooh, this just feels good. I'm drawing on my inheritance. Next, our inheritance is the beauty of all creation for us to enjoy. Rocks, vegetation, animals, fish, birds, insects. That's why when you go out in nature and you just go, wow, it's your inheritance. 
you are realizing and basking in the glory of God's inheritance revealed through creation. Isn't that beautiful? Your enjoyment of creation is not secondary to reading a Bible. We should read the scriptures, yes. But enjoying the creation is spiritual. All things are in Christ. Creation is beautiful. How many of you like snow? Yeah, skiing. Yeah. That's beautiful. I tried that skiing once. My body's finally healed up, but it was an icy slope. Friends took me first time. It was a sheet of ice. The only consolation I had was that they crashed too again and again, and they were pros. The earth produces a harvest of food. All oh, these beautiful vegetables. Some of us grow them in our gardens, and some of us get them at the grocery store. They're beautiful. It's part of our inheritance. Here's another thought. I just got two more. We're done. Our inheritance is in everyday living and not withheld until death. Every day you wake up in the morning, it's like, wow, this is a gift of God. I have breath in my lungs. I have life in this moment. I may not next moment, but I do in this moment. What a gift. It's a part of my glorious inheritance to have strength. Because Christ is what? In all things. All things are held together by him. Next, our inheritance is accessed by faith in the reality of Christ Jesus, who has summed up all things in heaven and in earth. And last but not least, the comment I, I have for us, our inheritance is experienced being seated with the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, where the eternal circle of love never ceases. We're bilocational. We are here, but we have a spirit connection with Christ. Scriptures just make this so abundantly clear, who is seated in heavenly places. And that's why Paul says, we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. So we have this divine connection with Christ by the Spirit. Isn't that glorious? Picture yourself. I do this regularly. Picture myself seated there with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I go, wow, thank you for including me in this divine flow of life eternal. God, there are billions yet who don't know. Some have never even been told about this privilege to experience this divine flow of love and life that heals, that mends, that restores. But the good news is, is that one day, all things will be made new. Nothing will be left undone. There will be no trace of sin or evil. I read the back of the book. It's what it says. New heavens 
new earth, everything is made new by the glorious Christ. Now, there's some mystery in how and when all of God's going to do that. I'm fine with that. I just take him at his word. When I see repeatedly through scripture of all that he's going to do, he's a God of restoration. I'm just going to take him at his word. Meanwhile, I'm going to do my part, though, and join him in agreement with the Lord in prayer and say, God, today, thank you for reordering the lives of individuals that they may experience the salvation, deliverance, and freedom from sin and evil and darkness. Today, let this be a day of salvation. Yeah, thank you, Lord, that you are in process. I don't see with my natural eyes, but you're in process of bringing divine order upon our earth and in the heavens. It's all in process, and I, got, have, I have absolute confidence, Lord, in, in the revealed will of God through the scriptures that it will happen and that it is happening in Jesus' name. Let's stand up together. Yikes. Thanks for your patience. It's just such a fun, exciting topic. Nope, I'm not going to do it next week now. It's like somebody might be thinking, well, when's he going to come to reality? What we just talked about is reality. Yes, there's temporary problemas. There's temporary chaos, and it's painful. And many people of our world are going through deep pain and oppression, and it's awful. And we should be praying for God's grace and God's freedom and God's healing, and their broken hearts and their broken lives. People around us are in painful circumstances, experiencing weighty, heavy-duty things. But let's don't lose sight of reality, of a glorious Christ. So, Lord, come your kingdom, be done your will in the name of Jesus. And for those who are hurting, any of us in this room, and some of maybe family members and friends of ours who are really, really hurting now, I thank you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the glorious Christ who will just literally come and begin to heal and mend the broken hearts. And for those who are oppressed and experiencing the injustices in our world, Lord Jesus, minister to their hurt and their pain and bring deliverance. Here in this time, Lord, and we know that in eternity, you surely shall bring wholeness to all. Let our hope remain in the eternal Christ, Jesus, our Lord, to whom every knee will gladly bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. And everyone said, Amen.